Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. I've got to go over, I've got to go over and show some of you that are new here tonight about how before the foundation of the world, God already created the seasons, okay? These biblical seasons and these biblical times are in every book of the Bible, let us look at Genesis. All right. Let us look at Genesis. Let's go just for a moment. I want you to go to Genesis chapter one, and I want to show you where the biblical feasts are in Genesis one. How many of you would like to see this, the biblical feasts in the creation? If you would say, amen. All right, let's look at the word of God. We're looking here, beloved saints, at Genesis chapter one, and we're going to go to verse 14. Verse 14 is the first, is the fourth day of creation. All right, say it with me, the fourth day of creation. All right, the Bible says the fourth day of creation. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. So this is the time this is when time is created. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is when time is created. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Say with me, for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Which one comes first, signs and seasons or days and years? Okay, so if it's mentioned first, then it's the priority. Okay, so that means in case we're unfamiliar with the text, let's go to the next verse so we know specifically that the Bible is referring to the sun and the moon. Let us look at verse 15. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Verse 16. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. So we understand this is the creation of the sun and the moon, correct? And they were created for what? For signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Say it. Said again. Okay, so days and years is the keeping of time, isn't it? We keep the sun. The sun helps us keep the time by years, doesn't it? All right, 365 days a year through the calculation of the sun, correct? And the moon gives us 24-hour periods, doesn't it? Every time the moon makes a revolution around the earth, it is what? It is 24 hours, isn't it? All right. So for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. So we've account, we understand that the sun and the moon were created so that we can have time. But also signs and seasons. This word season is not weather conditions. This word season is the word moed. Set with me. Moed. 
And a moed, beloved saints, is a feast also. So the word for biblical feast is moed. The word for season is moed. And the word for feast is moed. Do you have it? Do you see it? The word for season is moed. Say it. The word for season is moed. The word for feast is moed. And the word for, for biblical feasts, for biblical seasons, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So did you see that? And for seasons, for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Did you all see that, saints? All right, I want you to understand that so that you understand that God created these seasons to proclaim something. These seasons were created to announce to us the times of redemption, the times of God's deliverance, the predestined plan of God. Are you with me? The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. So these seasons are not just seasons where you say, wow, it's my birthday today, even though it's a great day. These are times that are supernatural. There are times when God says seasons of deliverance. Now I want you to understand something. God says they're going to be unto you for a memorial. Let's go to this just so I, I wasn't planning on this, but I have to follow the Holy Spirit, okay? Go with me to Exodus chapter 12 so you can understand what we're teaching tonight. Hallelujah. If we ever get to the real teaching, this is the real teaching. I mean, mine isn't, but God, what God wants to te teach is. Isn't it wonderful to have the Holy Spirit? Hallelujah. He's so wonderful. All right, we're going to Exodus, and we're looking here, beloved saints. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, we have the miraculous story of the actual Passover. And I want you to see um, uh, what the scripture is going to teach us here. The Bible is saying, looking in verse 12 of chapter 12. The Bible says, and I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both of man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment, for I am the Lord. Is this a mighty work of God or not? Yes or no? Yes. And we see a type and a shadow. Every sign that we see in the Bible, every sign where we are going to see in the Bible where there is blood, that is used for a sign. Every place in the Bible where we are going to see a sacrifice, we are going to see types and shadows of the cross of Jesus because everything in the Bible points to the cross. I hope you understand that. The whole reason the Bible was written was for the cross. Somebody ought to say the entire reason the Bible was written was for the message of salvation and for the cross. Are you with me, saints? Do you understand the importance of the cross of Calvary? If you do, say amen. All right. So what I call when we look at scripture and we see blood on a doorpost, or we see atonement, or we see a ransom, or we see an offering on the altar, and we see any kind of sacrifice, I call this blood evidence. 
Some of you may say, wow, isn't that a little bit forensic? And the answer to that is yes, it is forensic. Because I want you to know from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible reveals Calvary because that is why the Bible was written. I hope somebody understands this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we see on every page of scripture, and at rather every book in the Bible, we will find Calvary. And we will find Calvary connections, and we will find the burden of proof being presented that the person who matches the description of every piece of blood evidence is Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And somebody ought to give God the praise. Hello, I said, somebody ought to give God the praise. Hallelujah. I hope somebody's hearing what I'm saying here today. Hallelujah. Let us look just for a moment. Looking at Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. The Bible says, and I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both of man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. Will I execute judgment? And this blood shall be a what? This blood shall be a what? Why don't we say that out loud? This blood shall be a what? The word token is the very same word that you see for signs. This blood shall be a sign, shall be a token, shall be an evidence. But guess how it's spelled? I'm going in a direction I wasn't planning on until later during Passover season. But God says to do it tonight. Hallelujah. I hope somebody's hearing this. How do we spell token in Hebrew? You spell it Aleph Vav Tav. Say it with me, Aleph Vav Tav. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Who cares how it's spelled? When we understand that this is an Aleph Tav sign, what is an Aleph Tav sign? All right? So that you will understand, I'm going to take you deep for a minute. Can we go deep for a minute? Okay, say, Holy Spirit, put the diving gear on me. Say, I want to see Jesus in every book of the Bible. Say this with me. I want to see God's plan of salvation before the foundation of the world. Say, I want, uh, I want this year, I want to give praise for the cross. And I want to give praise for salvation. And I want the power of the blood to work on my behalf as never before for healing, for deliverance, for salvation, for deliverance of demonic power, for deliverance of demons, hallelujah, out of our house, for demonic strongholds to be bound, for principalities and powers to be at bay, to have everything under our feet. Are you with me? If you are, somebody ought to shout amen. All right. Let us look just for a moment at the concept of Aleph Tav. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 22, and we are going to look at verse 13. 
Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. Here we see, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. All right, Alpha and Omega, beloved saints, is the beginning of the Greek alphabet. The first letter in the Greek alphabet is Alpha, and the last letter in the Greek alphabet is Omega. Now, do you think when Jesus appeared to John on the island of Patmos, he was speaking Greek or was he speaking Hebrew? Why do we think he was speaking Hebrew and not Greek? It was written in Greek, wasn't it? But was Jesus speaking in Greek or was Jesus speaking in Hebrew? He's not going to be speaking in Greek. It's a Gentile language. Number one, Jesus never spoke Greek. All right. As a man, he spoke Aramaic. All right. Galilean Aramaic. And he spoke Hebrew. Hello, somebody. I said he spoke Galilean Aramaic and he spoke Hebrew. So is he going to speak a Gentile language to John who was raised speaking Aramaic, Galilean Aramaic and, and Hebrew? Is he going to speak to him in, in Greek? No, he is not. The translators put it in Greek. Okay. The the revelation was written in Greek, but it was spoken to him by Jesus on the island of Patmos in Hebrew. So if it's spoken in Hebrew, then that should not be Alpha and Omega. It should be Aleph and Tav. Say it with me. I am Aleph and I am Tav. Okay, what, what's the, some of you may say, what's the big deal? Who cares? It's a big difference. Do you know why? Because every Hebrew word has a concept behind it, and even Hebrew letters have a concept behind it. How many want to know the concept of Aleph? Would you raise your hand? All right, the concept of Aleph. What is the concept of Aleph? First of all, the first book, the first book in the Bible is Genesis, isn't it? Okay, saying Genesis in Hebrew is Bereshit. Can you say that with me? Bereshit. Okay, and the first letter in the Bible is not Aleph. The first letter in the Bible is Bet. Okay, so in concept, Aleph is before Bet, all right? But the word Bereshit means in the beginning. Say it with me, in the beginning. Isn't that the first word in the Bible? or the first phrase in English, but the first word in Hebrew, Bereshit, in the beginning. All right, say it with me, in the beginning. So technically, Aleph is before the beginning. Hello, I said Aleph is before the beginning. Maybe you didn't hear me. I said Aleph is before the beginning. So it proves the self-existence, pre-existence of the Son of God. He was not made. He always was God, and he always will be God. Somebody ought to shout the victory and say amen. Hallelujah. Are you hearing this? And Tav, by concept, is a letter it's a number, because remember, letters and numbers are the same in Hebrew. All right, but it is a number that goes on and on and on. So 
I am Aleph before the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Hallelujah. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Are you with me, saints? If you hear it, say amen. Okay, do you get it? So we have this concept of before the beginning. All right, now, we have this Aleph Tav sequence all throughout the Bible. And the Aleph Tav sequence appears in rare appearances that are very unusual, that don't make sense, because Aleph, Aleph Tav together is not a word. It's not even a punctuation mark. It's just there. And here we see... The sign, going back to Exodus, let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to show you a little secret now, okay? The, the three letters for the word sign is Aleph, Vav, Tav. Say it, Aleph, Vav, Tav. The Vav is a conjunction. So you could say Aleph and Tav, are you with me? I said you could say Aleph and Tav. And this blood shall be an Aleph and a Tav unto you. Are you hearing this? This blood shall be a token. The word token is the word sign or the word Aleph and Tav because it is spelled Aleph of Tav in Hebrew. This blood shall be unto you an Aleph and a Tav. Hallelujah. Upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague will not be upon you to destroy you. When and I smite the land of Egypt. God has to see something that looks like the blood of Jesus. Are you with me? It's a sign. It's a memorial. It's a remembrance. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. It's an Aleph Tom sign to the Almighty. Are you hearing this? Hallelujah. This blood shall be unto you an Aleph, Vav, and a Tav. Hallelujah. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, watch this. We're going to go a little further. And the Bible says, verse 14, and this day shall be unto you a zikaron, a memorial. All right? And you shall keep it a moed, a feast unto the Lord throughout your generations, and you shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever. Okay, what does the text mean when it says it's going to be a memorial? It doesn't just mean we're just going to remember the Passover. It's a little different than that. Ooh. <laughs> How many of you are getting excited? It's a little more than just remembering the Passover. This word actually refers to a reenactment. Say it with me, reenactment. So a reenactment of something is when you go back, you remember it, but it's on replay. Hello, I said it's a reenactment. So that means every year when it comes to the time of Passover, 
There are reenactments of what God did then that he does again. I want you to understand some of you that have been in bondage with a feral-like controlling spirit are about to be delivered during the time of Passover. And that is because of the blood of Jesus. Somebody ought to say Yeshua is the Passover lamb. Somebody ought to give God the praise and give God the glory. Some of us have been locked in the land of Mitzrayim, and God wants to set us free during the time of Passover. We're going to come out. Hallelujah. God made promises to Israel that were not just promises of coming out of slavery. You see, coming out of Egypt is not just coming out of a place. All right. Egypt, again, we have a Hebrew word that's a concept. Say it with me. Hebrew word that's a concept. This is the word Mitzrayim. Say it with me. Mitzrayim. Okay. Mitzrayim, we know we've heard it many, many times. Mitzrayim has the root word in it, Metzar. And that word Metzar means narrow place. When you're in bondage, you're in a narrow place. You're in a place of restriction. You can't get out. Whether that Mitzrayim, there are several different types of Mitzrayim that God is going to deliver the children of Israel out of. And during the time of the reenactment, God is going to do it for you too. Somebody ought to say, I'm getting ready to come out of my Mitzrayim. God is getting ready to break my bondage. God is getting ready through the blood of Jesus to bring me out of the narrow place. God is getting ready to do some new things in my life. I want you to understand there's four major types of Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim. There is first of all spiritual Mitzrayim. Spiritual Mitzrayim is when we're under control of somebody and we need to be completely submitted to God. Let my people go. Why? That they might serve me. I don't know about you, but I want to be free from anything that's going to stop me from doing God's will. Say this with me. I want to do the will of God. And I'm going to need to be free so that nobody's control, so that nothing spiritual in my life that is not surrendered to God will hold me back from doing the perfect will of God in all things. Are you with me, saints? Do you understand what I mean? So the first Mitzrayim is spiritual slavery or some kind of bondage or restriction. We might love the Lord, but we might be under major restriction. We might be under emotional Mitzrayim. That's really tough. Emotional Mitzrayim is really, really a narrow place that we need to come out of. That means that our emotions are locked up. Some of us whether we realize it or not, we can't serve God. Let my people go that they may serve me. We see this consistently throughout the entire text, throughout the entire narrative of the slavery narrative and the deliverance narrative that the text is going to teach us in the book of Exodus. We see that God continually said to Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. The whole purpose of the liberation out of, of Egypt is to serve God. 
So there are various levels of deliverance that God wants to give us so we can serve him. Emotional Mitzrayim is a very serious type of Mitzrayim because we can be under the control of a person. We can be people pleasers rather than God pleasers. And we need to get our emotions free so we can really do what we want to do. Hallelujah. When we're not doing what we really want to do and we're doing what somebody wants us to do so we might please somebody else rather than pleasing God, we got a problem. That's called an approval addict. All right, so we need some, some healing. All right, and during the time of the reenactment, God is going to deliver us from emotional Mitzrayim. God's going to deliver us from spiritual Mitzrayim. And there are some of us, beloved saints, that are also going to be delivered from soulish Mitzrayim. Hallelujah, that our desire is not going to be anymore for the things of the past or things that are really not who we are. God is going to bring us into our true identity, and that is the true identity in Christ, or those of us that have been in bondage to physical Mitzrayim. Physical Mitzrayim is the actual physical Yetziyat Mitzrayim, leaving Mitzrayim, physically leaving the bondage. Are you with me? All right. What exactly is going to happen at Passover time? What does God do? What type of deliverance does he give us? Okay, he gives us deliverance from, it's actually deliverance is the deliverance in the area, redemption of our work. The redemption of our work. We have two types of work. The type of work that is shown in the latter part of the book of Exodus. The type of work that Bezalel did. Who was Bezalel? Bezalel, let us look and see who Bezalel was. This is after the redemption. Say this with me, after the redemption out of Egypt. Let's look at Bezalel. Exodus chapter 31, looking at verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. Then we're going to go to Exodus 35, and we're going to look at Exodus 30, 36, verse 1. Very important verses. All right, let us look. See? I have called by name. Now, I want you to understand we're taking this out of context, so I don't want to lose anybody. I'm taking it for granted that we're all familiar with Exodus. So allow me for a moment for the sake of those that this is a new experience. Allow me to, for a moment, to, to backtrack. Okay, may I do that? I don't want to be over people's heads. Okay, this is now the, the children of Israel have been set free from physical Mitzrayim, haven't they? They've gone out of Egypt on the 15th day of the month of Nisan. They left Egypt forever. Praise God. All right? But did Egypt really leave them is the question. There are all types of struggles in the wilderness with various types of Mitzrayim that has not left them yet. Okay? However, the primary redemptive process is not just to bring them out of Egypt, but it's to redeem their labor. It's a redemption of labor. You see, in Egypt, it was backbreaking labor that produced no profit. Labor to the point that it broke the children of Israel apart. All right, 
But now after the redemption, it's another kind of labor. It's a labor called malacha. Say it with me, malacha. Malacha is the kind of is the kind of work that is creative. Malacha involves using creativity. It involves makshav. What is makshav? Makshav is to prepare a plan. The word chasav is a word to devise something, to plan something, to calculate something. So that means that the creative abilities that were in God's precious children created in the image and in the likeness of God, they were not allowed to create anything in Mitzrayim. If they made bricks, it wasn't under the creative abilities from their inward soul that expressed who they were. Are you with me? Amen. Okay. So we have to understand these concepts. Okay. The concept of Malacca is a concept that means that, that first of all, the faculties of the creative faculties that God put within you, that you design something, whether it's making a cake, that's designing something, isn't it? Or whether it's, even if you're a lawnmower, you're going to use, you're going to figure out a plan how you're going to mow the lawn. And it's going to look outstanding. And it's something that you really love to do. And something where you feel that you're producing profit. Something you feel you contributed to the environment. Something you feel that you were put on this earth to do something great. Where God's name is glorified through what you are doing. This is Malacca. Hello? I said, this is Malacca. Okay, so Malacca can also be, as we see here, the, the epitome of Malacca is shown in Bezalel. Let us look at this incredible redemption that God is bringing with the word. It's comparative in its contrast with the way life was in Egypt is no longer. God has begun immediately. He's going to have the children of Israel make him a tabernacle. Hallelujah. That he might dwell among them. And they're going to see the fruit of their labors. Because you see, everything in, in Egypt didn't produce any profit. They had 400 years of backbreaking labor. And the labor was so severe, it was forced to labor. It was cruel labor. Are you hearing this? It broke their spirit. It broke their mind. It broke everything. There was no reason to live. There was nothing creative about the work. Pharaoh set them up to fail so that when they did their work, it would fall apart and they would lose that sense of accomplishment. Are you with me? God wants that sense of fulfillment. God wants that sense of accomplishment that can only come through service to God. That sense of knowing I have a part in God's kingdom. God has called me to contribute something in his kingdom. He has given me a role in his kingdom. And this is how God's tender mercy was so great for his people. The first type of therapy that he's going to give them is the therapy of building the tabernacle. Hallelujah. Where he might dwell among them. But guess how it's going to be built? It's going to be built on their tears. It's going to be built on their toil. God is saying when you were in Egypt, your pain didn't have any price tag to it. When you were in Egypt, 
Pharaoh saw your pain and he degraded you through that pain. But God says when you come out of Egypt, there's a price tag on your pain. God says, I value your pain. God says it's so precious to me that when you're coming out, you're not coming out empty, but you're coming out with jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and you are going to spoil the Egyptians. You say, well, that's great, but how did that contribute to the building of the tabernacle? You see, we're going to go, we're going to look at this. First of all, let's look at Bezalel and see the creative abilities by the Spirit of God. See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur of the tribe of Judah. Now watch this. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, understanding, and knowledge in all manner of workmanship. Kashav. All right. Hallelujah. In all manner of Kashav. Let's continue. To devise Makshav, cunning works, to work in gold, silver, and brass. Notice he's using his creative abilities by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is revealing to him how to make the tabernacle. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. All right, but let's look at these materials. Where did they get the silver? Where did they get the brass? Where did they get the materials to build a tabernacle in the wilderness? What did they do? Just get out of the wilderness and say, wow, look at this pile of gold. The Lord just provided it for us. We're so blessed. He let us walk into this gold. Wrong. Maybe there was a hidden cave filled with jewels and filled with gold, and they just happened to fall upon the cave, and boy, there was all the jewels and gold to build the tabernacle. Wrong. Mm -mm. The night before they left Egypt, God had this in plan. God had this plan before there was ever a nation of Israel. When Abraham, before he had one descendant, hallelujah, before Abraham had one descendant, say with me, before Abraham had one descendant, when he had a dream, when he came out of Egypt himself, I hope you understand, he came out very rich in silver, cattle, and gold. Hallelujah, the actions of the fathers are revealed in the children. He came out of Egypt, very rich of silver, gold, and he had a dream in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. And the Bible says, know of a surety that your seed will be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them for 400 years. And afterward, I will judge that nation. And afterward, I shall judge that nation, and they shall come out with what? Great substance. Are you with me? So what was the substance? The night before the tenth strike. See, before the tenth strike, God knew exactly when to strike it. The Egyptians are shaking in their boots. 
they said, get these, get these Hebrews out of here because their God's going to totally wipe us out. And guess what? I want you to understand about the judgments. These strikes, these plagues, they have many different names. The plagues are called strikes. Makok, say it with me, makok. Strikes. They're signs, say it with me, signs. And they're also acts of retribution. Okay, what's acts of retribution? Does God say, because you were, you were terrible to my children, boom, I'm going to destroy you. Is that what God does? Is he a God like that? That just says, you touch my child, so now you're going to just be throttled. Is that what God does? Would God be righteous and judge injustice? Would that really be justice? No, God is going to extract repentance from that nation. And so his judgments were carefully calculated and planned. For example, the first acts of massive genocide against the Hebrews were the mandates of murder that were orchestrated by Pharaoh to say, the midwives didn't go along with it, so he turned to the Egyptians. And he said, if you see a man-child, you will not let him live. You will take that child and you'll throw that child into the river. It was a commandment by Pharaoh. The river was filled with Hebrew blood. I said, the river was filled with the blood of children. So the first plague... What is it? The water turns to blood. Okay? Why is the water turning to blood? Because every, Hebrew, every, every person that threw a little Hebrew baby in that water is seeing their sin. Every person is seeing that it's wrong because God gives every man a conscience. Hello, somebody. What they do with that conscience, hallelujah, is up to that, that person. But I want you to understand this is why the preaching of the gospel is so important. But God gives every man a conscience. Read Romans chapter 1. Hello, somebody. So they're looking at the water and they're seeing blood. And so every single one of the plagues, which we do not, are not going into, are acts of retribution to show the Egyptians their sin. Are you with me? To extract repentance because God is not willing that any should perish. Are you hearing this? There are judgments in the earth, righteous judgments. Are you hearing this? Somebody ought to praise him and give him glory. All right. So they left Egypt at the time of the 10th plague, before the 10th plague struck. They said, um, would you mind if we just had a little bit of that gold off your neck? Well, they owed them pay. Hello, I said they owed them 400 years of pay, and payday's coming. Hello, somebody ought to say payday is here. Can I have some of that silver that you're wearing on your bracelet? 
they're taking it off. They're saying, we owe them. We had them working for us. We never paid them. Hello, somebody, are you with me? I said, payday is coming. The devil is a liar. And somebody ought to give God the praise. Hallelujah. So we need to see this. This is marvelous, just marvelous. And this is exactly what happened. They took, the Bible will read this, notice, going to, to um, Exodus chapter 3, and we're closing with this. Exodus chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. We're closing with this text. The Bible says, Hallelujah. Looking at 21 first. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians that when you go out, you will not go out empty. The word empty doesn't just mean nothing in your hand. The word empty is a word in Hebrew that means you're not going out without purpose meaning I'm going to do something with all that sorrow. I'm, I'm going to use it for my glory. The dark days are going to be used for destiny. Are you hearing it? You're not going out empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and her that sojourns in her house. Jewels of silver. Now, the word in Hebrew for jewels is the word segula. But segula is not used here. Jewels of silver, it's not jewels. It doesn't say segula. It uses another word. It uses the word kalim. Kalim are what they're going to become. They're going to become vessels and instruments used in the building of the tabernacle. I said they're going to be used as vessels. They're going to become the ark. They're going to become the table of showbread. They're going to become the menorah. They're going to become the instruments of sacrifice. Are you hearing this? Kalim, the prophetic destiny. The prophetic destiny. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The prophetic destiny of these Kaleem. God is saying, you're coming out, not, you're not coming out empty. This is a season. You might be leaving and exiting a season of great sorrow. You might be leaving and exiting a season of great depression. You might be leaving a season that was a difficult season of broken heart. You might be leaving a season of where something failed. You might be leaving a season where a business broke down. You might be leaving a season where uh, at the season, a time when you're making an exit over maybe a relationship that you loved. Maybe there was a best friend and you lost your best friend. They betrayed you or a sister or a brother passed away. 
say something happened in your life that it was a very difficult and dark season and you may be leaving that season but I want you to understand that season hallelujah that God is giving you today that season hallelujah somebody ought to shout the victory it's the season that season hallelujah that season that you are leaving you're not coming out empty stand to your feet tonight thank you for joining us today on day of destiny we invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of dr corral's latest book secrets of the anointing Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.